You're listening to the Misty Creek Community Church Podcast. To learn more about Misty Creek Community Church, visit our website at mistycreekchurch.org. Is your house in order? That is the name, the topic of today's message. Sherry and I, we host the Allen Thanksgiving get-together every year, and we've been doing it for 20 years or more. Every family needs a gatherer, someone who proactively gathers the family members together, much like a hen does with her chicks. It used to be my grandmother, Alan, whom we call Big Mama. She was the matriarch of our family, but when she passed away, Thanksgiving kind of fell through the cracks. So I decided to pick up that torch and carry on that beautiful tradition that Big Mama started. Well, I say I, it's not just I, it's me, Sherry, it's the kids. It's a lot of work, but it's a labor of love. We all have a job to do. There's lots to do because at 1 p.m. on Thanksgiving Day, people are coming. A lot of people, usually around 40. So months in advance, Sherry and I start getting our house in order. I send out invitations via Facebook Messenger. Sherry keeps track of who's bringing what. And the week before Thanksgiving, turkeys are bought two turkey breasts for smoking, and one whole bird for deep frying. Delicious. YouTube videos are watched to remind me how to cook the birds, (laughs) since I only do it once a year. The house is clean, tables and chairs are set up, sweet tea is made, southern sweet tea that is, with lots of sugar. Sides are prepared, pecan pies are made, and the dressing, compliments of Sherry's mother, is heated up in the oven. At 1 p.m., the guests arrive to find everything as it should be, more or less. The Allen house is in order because everyone has done their part. Everyone has done their job. But today, church, I'm not talking about getting our physical house in order. I'm talking about our spiritual house, our hearts. In the parable of the talents that Reagan read, Jesus was trying to show his disciples something. He's trying to show us all something. As followers of Jesus, we've been given a job to do. Father God created us to have great impact on this earth. He created us to worship him and give him glory. That's our privilege and our responsibility, yes. But he created us to do good works for the kingdom. I emphasize this scripture a lot most every time I preach because it's important to grasp. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Church, here's a mind-blowing thought. Most of you heard my Dairy Queen story, right? How on New Year's Day, God allowed me to lead a homeless man named Danny to Christ in a Dairy Queen parking lot in Augusta. The biggest question that Sherry and I got after sharing that story was, how did Danny know to come up to me? Ah, that's a good question. Now, according to that verse that we just read in Ephesians, Almighty God purposed that meeting between me and Danny in advance. Holy Spirit led us to Dairy Queen, because we never go there. God worked through the poor service that we got to delay us. (laughs) And he stirred Danny's heart to come talk to me. God orchestrated the whole thing. But Christian, we have to do our part We have to do our job for the kingdom. As ambassadors for Christ, what is our job? I'm glad you asked. Our job is to spread the gospel, to love others, to care for the church, 
to be an example to the world, to be salt and light and truth, and to care for the poor and sick and the less fortunate. But beloved, we have to be in step with Jesus to recognize his voice and his direction, to experience the fullness of God. That was Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus and for us too. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he, God, may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, Misty Creek, being rooted and established in love, may have power with all the Lord's people to grasp how high, how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Man, I want that, don't you? Church, those talents that Jesus spoke of in his parable, you will never put them to their complete use unless you understand your true position in Christ Jesus. He loves you with an everlasting, unending, irrevocable love, and he has given you Holy Spirit power to do and accomplish great and mighty things for the kingdom of God. So I ask you, is your house in order? King Jesus is returning. He's coming back. I don't know about you, but I don't want to play it safe. I don't want to bury my talent in the ground. I want to use them for Jesus, and I'm certain that you do too. So how do we do it? How do we get our spiritual house in order? How do we position ourselves to be filled with the fullness and power of God and to hear his voice of guidance and direction in our lives? Number one, serve Jesus with an undivided heart. There is one man in all of the Bible whom God referred to as a man after his own heart. Who was it? David, King David. Listen to his plea, his heart, his cry to God this morning. Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Oh, what a prayer. What a prayer. Let me ask you a question this morning. What are you giving your heart to? There's a proper order in how we should position our hearts. Remember the acronym JOY? We talked about that over Christmas time. Jesus, others, yourself. When we choose to put Jesus first and serve him with an undivided heart, the other things fall into place. But when we put other things above Christ, they can own us. They can actually become our master if we're not careful. There's a song by country singer Dwight Yoakam that was released in 1990. For me, the haunting lyrics of this song always described my feelings of being in bondage to drug addiction. I loved Jesus, but I wasn't free, and he wasn't first in my life. Does something reign in your heart today in the place that rightfully belongs to Jesus? Ask God to search your heart as we play this song by Dwight. It's called The Heart That You Own. Thank you. 
Did God bring anything to mind? What's taking first place in your heart? Is there perhaps something in your life that shouldn't be there? Something that is short-circuiting your faith and keeping you from experiencing the fullness of God that Paul spoke of? You know, when I was in college, I had a summer job for two years reading electric meters for Georgia Power Company. The main part of that job was going from home to home reading the meters so the power company could tabulate a bill for usage. You know, Georgia Power, they're going to get their money. Another part of my job was, and I didn't like this part, but it was cutting off power to homes that were delinquent on their bill. Do you all know how to cut off the electricity to somebody's home? That's a picture of a standard residential electric meter. It's not shown in the picture, but there's a seal at the bottom of the meter box to keep people from tampering with the meter. I would just cut the seal push up on the bottom of the meter, and then simply remove it from the meter box. You see there's four prongs on the back of the meter. You take little plastic sleeves, really no bigger than a postage stamp, and put them on the bottom two prongs and pop the meter back into the wall box. Those two plastic sleeves are interrupting the circuit. They are now blocking the power from the source. Beloved, through Jesus Christ, God offers us fellowship, relationship, and communion with himself. He wants us to experience the fullness of goodness and power, as we read earlier from Paul, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the goodness of God and fullness of God. But when we're not fully committed and surrendered to Jesus, we can experience what Charles Spurgeon calls a double heart. In Hebrew, it literally means a heart and a heart. It's the opposite of an undivided heart. 
The double heart is two natures contending. It's two principles struggling for sovereignty. The man or woman with a double heart or divided heart is weak. When we let the things of this world occupy the throne of our heart, the place that rightfully belongs to our Savior, then we short-circuit our relationship with God. We don't experience fullness. We experience dryness. We don't experience and feel close to God. We feel distant. And there's no power or victory in that. And today, if this is where you find yourself, you're a Christian, but you feel far from God, you're struggling, there's no power or spark in your relationship with Jesus, first of all, know this, you're not alone. We've all been there. We've all been in that place. And secondly, God wants to restore that relationship in you. That's his heart, forgiveness and reconciliation. While the Israelites were in captivity in Babylon, God himself wrote them a letter of encouragement. And the prophet Jeremiah wrote it down and sent it to the exiles. And in my weird, convoluted, strange mind, at home I can picture the scene and it was like Billy Crystal's voice in the mailroom in Babylon. <laughs> hey, Israelites, you got a letter? Who's it from? God! <laughs> Seriously, though, can you imagine you witnessed the complete destruction of God's temple and the holy city? You were dragged off into captivity in Babylon. Oh, what they must have been feeling when they listened to these words of hope from God's own heart. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed in Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place, Jerusalem. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. Christian, the promise in God's letter, it's for us too. If your divided heart is your Babylon, God wants to set you free from captivity. If you're willing to give him first place in your life and let Christ rule and reign on the throne of your heart, then God will remove those tabs from your heart and restore the broken connection. God Almighty will own your heart, not this world. Here's a saying worthy of full acceptance. An undivided heart, O Lord is what we need each day. For we are prone to compromise and wander from your way. Ain't that the truth? So to get our spiritual house in order, church, we need to serve God with an undivided heart. And second, we need to wake up, arise, O sleeper. Back before iPhones, there was a time back before iPhones, you remember that? Seems like they've been around forever. When was the first iPhone released? 07. 08 was close. 07. Not that long ago, really. But before everyone on the planet had an iPhone, if you were staying in a hotel, you could call the front desk and ask for a wake-up call. Remember those? The Apostle Paul, in his very last letter before his execution, was giving a wake-up call to his friend and young pastor of the church at Ephesus. Who was it? Timothy. It was Timothy. 
Paul reminds Timothy and all who will follow Christ that we've not been given a spirit of timidity or fear, but of power and love and self-discipline. That we're to live holy lives, surrendered to Christ Jesus, and he warns and prepares Pastor Timothy of the battle that will come his way. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. We're there now. And this is happening right before our eyes and even in the church of Jesus Christ. Here's another saying worthy of full acceptance. A church that looks just like the world has nothing to offer the world. Paul's challenge to Timothy was a challenge to be awake and alert and in love, in love to preach the truth of the gospel. No matter what, it's our challenge too, church. There's no gray area with God's standard. Jesus Christ calls us to be holy as he is holy. He calls us to surrender to his lordship and to be transformed in holiness and righteousness. Paul writes, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The word of God should change us. We don't have the right to change it, to fit into popular culture. Amen? Amen. Christian, opposition and pressure will continue against the true church of Jesus Christ. And I believe right now that Jesus is separating his true church from the church that wants to serve this world. In love, we need to continue to teach the truth of God's word, even in the face of criticism opposition, and even persecution. We must preach the good news of Jesus Christ. You know, the gospel hasn't changed. Jesus Christ and his message are the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. This dark world needs to hear the truth of God that's found in this book. Listen now. An entire generation is under full-blown assault from the evil one. Church, this gender identity agenda that is aimed at our children, the agenda and everything that goes along with it, gender transition surgery, puberty blockers, and gender confusion and chaos is straight up demonic. And the messages are coming from everywhere. TV shows, Hollywood actors, celebrities, famous musicians, American Girl Doll Company. Remember them? My daughter Bella loved American Girl Doll. She still has some in her room. What could be more innocent than a doll, right? They released a book last year called Body Image. It's a guide to advise girls as young as three how to transition their gender. The book also promotes puberty blockers. Now, this is not some evolution of the human race. This is evil. In the confusion, chaos, and utter destruction that this is doing to young lives. American Girl doesn't talk about the post-surgery depression and suicides that have taken place after gender reassignment surgery. Church, it's a spiritual battle, and at its core, it's an attempt to remove a holy God from our families and from our society. Listen, Jesus has strong words of warning to those who come after children and cause them to stumble. These are the words of Christ. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them 
to have a large millstone hung around their neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. In Germany, six million Jews were murdered between 1941 and 1945. And except for a few brave Christians, the church in Germany remained silent and looked the other way. We are to love like Christ loved, yes, but we have a responsibility to call out evil and to show the world the most excellent way. That's exactly what Jesus did when he rebuked the Pharisees and the false teachers. He called out evil, hatred, confusion, and chaos, and he showed us all the way to God. Absolute and timeless truth does exist, and it has a name, Jesus Christ. Church, I promise you, this generation is searching for truth. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it, and it never will. It's not that this generation ought to know or could know or should know. They must know, and we are the messengers. And this is what we should tell them, church, that they are fearfully and wonderfully made. They are created and formed by God, that their identity and worth are not defined by this world, but by Jesus Christ. They are holy and blameless in his sight. They are adopted by God as sons and daughters. They are God's own possession, chosen, forgiven, and redeemed. We have to do our job, church. Jesus is calling us to get our spiritual house in order, to serve him with an undivided heart, to wake up, Arise and answer the call, and he wants us to know this. We're in a spiritual battle. We must fight with spiritual weapons. We're in a spiritual battle, yes? We need to know who our enemy is. Our brother Paul tells us exactly who and what we're fighting. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Beloved, we, want, we don't want to show up to this fight with a squirt gun. We want to come loaded for bear, but with God's weapons. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And here are the spiritual weapons that the Lord gives us. The belt of truth. We won't find God's truth on the internet or in the news. Jesus told Pontius Pilate, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Jesus is the good shepherd. We are his sheep. The sheep recognize his voice. Jesus Christ is the voice of truth. Next, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Live a life worthy of the calling to which you've been called. That is to live a life that exhibits godly character, moral courage, personal integrity, and mature behavior. A life that expresses gratitude to your God for salvation. We must be alert and always ready to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ by putting on the gospel shoes of peace. As Kelly reminded us earlier, each one reach one for Christ. We must take up our shield of faith and put on the helmet of the assurance of salvation. Do not doubt. And we have one offensive weapon in our arsenal, the same weapon that Jesus used to fight Satan in the wilderness, the sword of the Spirit, 
which is the Word of God. We must know the Holy Bible, not just know about it, but know what it says. Memorize Scripture. Put it in your mind and in your heart so that you can say it out loud when you're being attacked. And we must pray, church, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Listen, our enemy, the devil, he's crafty. He's cunning. He's been at this a long time. If we try to fight him on our own without the armor of God, in essence, spiritually naked and unarmed, God gives us this example of what will happen in nature. We'll be totally overwhelmed. We'll sink. But when we clothe ourselves in the power with the armor of God and rely on Jesus to fight in us, through us, and for us, then we are ready for a spiritual battle. We are well-armed and protected. Then we will not be overwhelmed. We will not be engulfed by the enemy. We are more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. Amen. Final thought. Church, it may appear that evil is winning and that those of us who love Jesus and serve him are grossly outnumbered in this world. The devil would have us believe that all is lost. Why even try? This morning, I ask you, Father, open our eyes, Lord, that we may see those who are with us are more than those who are with the forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You are with us, Jesus, and countless angel armies are with you. Give us the courage, Lord, not to do the easy thing, but the right thing. May we fight against the tyranny of the evil one and proclaim freedom in Christ Jesus. For if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. We hope you were inspired by today's message. For more sermons from Misty Creek Community Church, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you like to stream your podcasts. You can also watch videos of our sermons and complete services on the Misty Creek Community Church YouTube channel. And while you're there, be sure to like, subscribe, and hit the notification bell. For more information about our church, including our mission, location, service times, and more, visit our website at mistycreekchurch.org. God bless you, and thank you for listening.